Thanks for joining us today for TED Speaks with your host, Ted Carew, the Positive Safety Coach. As co-host and Ted's wife, I have the added task of keeping Ted in line and laughing at his jokes, which isn't always easy. My name is Barb Carew. We are coming to you from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, home of the Brewers, Miller Beer, and the Fonz. How could it get any better than that? Our podcast focuses on sharing ideas with business owners and safety professionals to keep employees safe and families together. Our passion for keeping people safe is the reason Total Health and Safety Solutions was created. This is how Ted is able to share his 25 years of safety experience by supporting companies around the globe in their efforts to strengthen their health and safety process. Please join us in welcoming Krista Vessel. Krista is a human factors and communication specialist who focuses on the language of learning from both normal work and adverse events. Krista helped create the Learning Review, which replaced traditional accident investigations in the U.S. Forest Service and is now used around the world to understand and learn from the network of influences that surround work in complex systems. Krista is an adjunct professor for the University of Alabama at Birmingham in the Advanced Safety, Engineering, and Management Master's degree program. As a social scientist, she helps students move from a place of knowing to one of inquiry, while exploring topics like culture, complex adaptive systems, psychological safety, sense-making, communication, and semiotics. Krista earned her Master of Science degree at Lund University in Sweden under Professor Sidney Decker, who introduced the new view of human error to the safety world. As a lifelong learner, she is currently pursuing a doctoral degree in organizational leadership. She and her husband, Ivan, offer consulting services, learning reviews, and language reviews for organizations looking to increase safety through learning through their private business dynamic inquiry. Hey, Krista, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How about you, Ted? I am. I am doing very well. Thank you. I'm excited to have you on our, our podcast here and, and really kind of learn more about, you know, people is really kind of what we're going to be talking about. I mean, a lot more of that and how people react to different things. So, yeah, and learn about how they do that. So that's probably all very important. But can you kind of give us our listeners a little bit of a background about you? Sure. My background is in human factors and system safety. I studied with Sydney Decker in Lund University, Sweden. And I also have a great background in communication. So I've combined those into what I do today, which is I'm a, an adjunct professor for the University of Alabama at Birmingham. And I teach a number of courses also with my husband, Ivan Puppolity, who was on recently. He teaches some of the others. So actually, all our classes sort of fit together into more of a holistic piece. And I teach crisis leadership, which is I teach it more from a cultural perspective. Who are we? How are we communicating? How do we need to develop relationships so that we can actually look at crises as they emerge or in normal work or after the event? So how can we handle these differently? And then I've created new courses in language and safety systems, which is something that we all need to pay attention to. And I like to focus on the language of learning which is very different than a lot of language we use in our workplaces. We believe we're learning, but we actually set ourselves up unconsciously not to do that or to follow biases that prevent us from learning in the moment. And then I also created another course, 
on semiotics, which are the signs and symbols of how we determine meaning or create meaning from our environment. And we do this for our senses. It's a lot of interesting topics that, like you said, the whole realm of communication. You know, some people might think, well, communication, you know, you just talk and listen and that's about it. But it definitely goes much deeper than that. And I wanted to kind of start out, I watched your video presentation, I think it was for the Learning from Incidents Conference on the language of learning that you had talked about. Can you explain a little bit more? I know you briefly said it, what the language of learning is. Well, so in order to learn, we have to be in a mode of inquiry. Unfortunately, most of us, especially when we get into work environments, come from a place of knowing. And so we shut ourselves down to that inquiry that is so essential for us to learn something new. And certainly safety managers and leadership does this a lot, whether they mean to or not. They set it up so that it becomes sort of a binary opposition. You have your leadership management, and then you have your workers. And the leadership tends to believe that they know, whereas the workers are then, they have training put on top of them. They have a push of training or a push of knowledge that they're expected to learn instead of developing something that becomes a pull of inquiry that makes them want to learn it, makes them actually value it and add their own pieces into it because they're the ones that do the work. They know what's going on in the environment, but often we set it up in a way that that doesn't happen. So the language of learning is when we use language in a way where we start to notice our own biases as we use language. And I'm talking about spoken language, written language, and then semiotics, which are those signs and symbols that can be nonverbals in our environment. So all of that adds in. And we need to move to a place of open inquiry, or as Ed Shine, who was the father of organizational culture, said, humble inquiry. We need to set ourselves aside and actually start to use language that allows the other person in instead of just trying to force something on top of them. And a lot of things happen to prevent this. One thing that I talk about in my class is what I call the slights of language. These are, you know, like a magician does a sleight of hand. Well, these are these slights of language that happen right in front of us, but we rarely see them happening. So, for example, we may believe everyone in our workplace knows what the word safety means. But if you ask everyone, you're going to get a bunch of different answers. We do it all the time in our classes. You know, you just, it's just it's, whether you ask about safety or risk or any, or a hazard. I mean, these, these are things that we think they have one, what we say is a denotation, which is the dictionary meaning. But actually, they're just full of connotation. We all, from our own cultural bias, we then put that on top of what that meaning might be. And we each have our own meaning. So the only way to determine what safety means to you, Ted, and Barb, and me, is for us to actually ask each other and go into a dialogue around that and have that open inquiry. I like the way that you put that because I go back, you know, kind of in the beginning there where, where you're talking about learning, right? And they got to want to learn. But what happens when you have an incident? Oh, you know what? Now you can do all this training to learn from that incident. And there's really no motivation there for that individual, right? It's more or less a punishment. So that kind of almost makes it goes against what you're saying, right? Yes. And one thing I would say is 
don't wait to think about your language until you have an incident because it's the worst time, (laughs) especially if it's a big accident. They're so full of drama that they don't allow us to move into it with a lot of inquiry. We tend to have other things over the top, regulations and other agencies perhaps looking at us. And so that's a time where we don't have that openness to share. But the biggest thing we really should talk about is agency. So an agent is the doer of an action. So for example, if I drop my pen on the floor, we could say a couple things. We could say the pen dropped because maybe it really wasn't me intentionally dropping the pen. But if we speak the English language, we're very likely to say, Krista dropped the pen. She dropped the pen because we're an agentive language. We already have that bias inside of our language. And also, we're if we're talking about the United States, for example, we are a Western culture. And that means we are an independent culture, not interdependent. So we are less likely to think, you know, oh, that pen dropped. And we could just say the pen dropped. We would rather separate us from that person when that action happens. And this becomes very important when we look at incidents, because we often use attribution bias, which is a bias where we believe that the internal characteristics of a person are making them do what they're doing. Instead of looking at the network of influences around them, the environmental conditions, so many different things can add into that. We ignore that and we say, ah, that person, they're lazy. That's why they did that. You know, they're, they don't want to learn or whatever it is. So this attribution error that we use adds into that agency that we have in our language. And it easily influences us to blame another person because it does end up in blame many times in a, an organizational culture that uses language that's not learning language, that uses different techniques and beliefs that don't add into that learning. So we have to be very careful about using agentive language, which says that a person did something. Because if we do that, for example, if we say that lineman failed to close that circuit, just by using the word failed, we imply that it was his personal intent or his personal agency that made that happen. And once that happens, it's very easy for us to set aside that person from ourselves. We say, oh, I would never do that. It's that person. And once we do that in an accident report or investigation, we no longer look at the other influences in the system that were going on. And those might be the most important parts that we can learn from in that workplace. Yeah, you bring up a a couple good points, but I know you had published a writing for, I think it was ACS Chemical Health and Safety, and I did read that. You shared it with us, and in there you do talk about how we're just likely to place blame, you know, whether it's in the workforce or outside in personal life and such. And I know one thing that we try to do here at Total Health and Safety, and Ted, when you're on the job with other people, is to stay positive because you're really going to build those relationships. You're going to get better results. Like, you know, you don't like to just go in and be the police, but placing blame seems to be the norm. And to stay positive in that environment sometimes is really hard. And do you have, for people that tend to to the blame, do you have any tools to get away from that type of mindset? 
it's probably not easy for people who have been doing it that way for so long, right? Absolutely. And I think most of us are in that position. We don't notice the agenda of language that we use every day. So the first thing I would say is that we have to learn to recognize that and catch ourselves and then practice perhaps reframing that language so that in our regular lives, we use it less. And then in our work lives, we can use it less. But also I find that it's very rare that a company or agency will use the word blame. They'll use other words, but they don't think that they're blaming. And it does end up there. What they don't realize is that there's an easy path from choosing agentive language to blame and what happens in the meantime. I mean, generally, you know, you blame someone or you accuse them of a crime. And I'm going to call it a crime because what we say in our accident investigations, oh, we want to go in to learn. But really, (laughs) we want to get out of it as fast as possible. And we only fund the ones that are really big. And then we have so much drama around it that we can't do anything other than blame. So that's not a great time to do that. You know, go in and look at your language in other documents, training documents, for example. You know, training should be not the forced style that we often use. And I say forced because you have a trainer and you have the workers. And the trainer has a directional stream of information going to the workers. Why not involve them in the process? Because in order to get them to value what we're saying and then carry it out in the workplace, they have to be part of developing it. So I highly suggest going into a place of dialogue instead of just forcing on the training and the lovely PowerPoint presentations that have dozens and dozens of slides and, oh, they're so pretty. But you know what? We all shut off to that. Let's involve our people. Let's have an actual dialogue. So you teach courses at the university about this, how to communicate. And is it hard to teach someone that? Because I sometimes tend to think you're either kind of a good communicator or not. Like you said, sometimes it's all in the words you use or the approach. But how do you Is that tricky to teach or no? Well, I think everything is tricky to teach. And I don't even like that word because, okay, I'm in a position as an instructor. I'd rather be their mentor and their coach and help them explore this information. And we do it together. We have a lot of live dialogic classes. And that's about me coming in with inquiry as well as them so that we can share knowledge because their experiences are very important. And I always come out learning something that I didn't know. So it's fun teaching the classes because there's a transformation in many of the students and that happens pretty early on, certainly when they hit my language class, because they have to do crisis leadership first as kind of the primer and foundation. But they come in and instead of being in a place of knowing where they want to force knowledge onto me or onto the class... They come in with inquiry and they say, you know what? I don't know. And that is a scary place to be. It is uncomfortable. Very uncomfortable, right? (laughs) Absolutely. We have this need for certainty in our lives and it drives us to move away from the fear of not knowing. So if we can get students and everyone to a place to say, I don't know, and I'm okay with that because it opens me up to learn, we're much more empowered. 
That that is hard. I'm Ted will attest to. I'm a question asker and sometimes to a point of annoyance. <laughs> but it's how I It's not sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> it's how I it's how I learn. But when I think back about being a student, whether it was younger or in college, I veered away from that because I didn't want to look like I didn't know what I was doing. Like I was unsure of myself right, and I was embarrassed questions. and I didn't want to be the center of attention. So I probably didn't learn as much because everything in my head that I wanted to ask, I just thought someone else will ask it. And now as an adult, it's like, I know I don't know everything and I don't need to. And that's just the way I personally learn. But I can see where asking questions is hard because you're setting yourself up to say, I don't know. And for some people, that's very uncomfortable. And I would think in the workforce, when you deal with people that, I don't know, maybe feel like they're going to get accused of something, might shy away from that too, because they don't really know what they're being set up for. Well, they're putting up their, putting the defenses up right away, right? And that really probably make a big difference within the communication because they're putting the defense say hey no you know and just be very almost in that negativity because they know negativity is coming so they're going to defend themselves when you don't have that i agree with you wholeheartedly first of all in the academic realm in our undergraduate degree we are taught that there is an answer at the back of the book and we might be wrong and so we're really scared about that very true that's (laughs) all i got through college (laughs) (laughs) But when we hit the master's degree level, things change because now you're expected to start mastering that material. That means turning turning it around, approaching it with inquiry, being open to asking those powerful questions that could change everyone in the room. So we go into that as well. And in our program, because it is a master's program of advanced safety and engineering, we value that dialogue so much. And I try to empower the students to understand, hey, we need to ask powerful questions. So how can we do that? One question that I encourage them not to ask in their workplace, if they have an accident, for example, is the question, why? Because why can be very agentive. You ask a person why, they almost feel like they have to defend their position and they may be scared to speak up. They may not feel the confidence of their answer to answer it. So, hey, let's ask around that. You know, what was going on at the time? Have you seen anything in normal work that we could all learn from? You know, we need to open it up past that why question, which is the one most people center on, and yet it can shut things down faster than anything else. I would have never thought of that really. You know what I mean? But you're Why? right. Yeah. Depending on the circumstance, or I think when we're talking to our kids, like it doesn't really open it up for great conversation. You're right. It just kind of puts you already at the, mm, how should I answer this? Yeah. Communication is very complex. It is. <laughs> you know, sp- speaking on the communication side of things, can you explain the semiotics more and what exactly that is? Yeah, because neither one of us knew we actually... Beforehand, right. So yeah, if you can share that with our listeners too. You know, semiotics is not a term most people ever encounter, so don't feel bad about that. Well, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) But really, it's the study of how meaning is created through the use of signs and symbols in our environment. And in general, we say signs are like the natural realm. Oh, we know it's spring because trees are getting their leaves. That's a sign, right? Symbols are usually man-made. And we use this in our writing, you know, our writing letters, that those are semiotics. Those are symbols. But anything we take in with our senses that can have meaning and that we can socially construct meaning between us about, 
those are semiotics. So for example, in the workplace, you might have, I have a couple signs here in front of me. I have a pin that I took from a place a long time ago, and it says, unsafe is unacceptable. Okay. It's a nice little green tree and an orange background. I have another sign and it says, we love incidents. Look at the difference between these. Unsafe is unacceptable versus we love incidents. Which one inspires you into inquiry? The second one. Yeah. <laughs> the love yeah. of incidents. But some people would say, geez, that's a weird thing to say, but really. Well, and this little sticker came from that learning from incidents conference that I spoke for. And it, I think it's so powerful because we do, we should love incidents because maybe they're not yet an accident. Maybe someone hasn't been hurt yet. You know, I don't want to even talk about how much money might go out if you have an accident, because that really shouldn't be tied up in it, but it is. Our organizational culture always pulls that in. But if we say we love incidents like this, then that's opening us up to valuing failures. And we should value failure because it's the only way we learn. I mean, Ted, have you ever learned anything where, you know, you, you learned it, but you never failed around learning it? You know, you just, oh, all of a sudden knew it right. and you carry it for the rest of your life. Well, well, correct. I mean, being able, you know, to learn from those failures is how you get better at things. And, you know, I, there's numerous things I can quote, unfortunately, <laughs> that, that I learned. But the bit important part is that you're willing to put yourself out there too, right? To learn to have that failure and be humble about things, to look at it that way. is kind of what you're saying, I would think, right? Absolutely. You nailed it. So, you know, thinking about those, those differences in signs, I could wear this pin that says unsafe is unacceptable. And that means one thing from my culture. Okay. Yeah. Discipline. We love incidents. <laughs> That's saying something else. And if we say we love incidents, it also means that we can talk about it together because that's one of the worst things that happens when we do something like, oh, follow a zero initiative. Let's just say if we say that the only thing acceptable in our community is to go for zero incidents, what we end up doing is shutting down reporting because nobody wants to be the one that stops that clock. That they walk by that clock every day and they go 365 days since our last accident. They're like, I'm not going to say anything. Are you kidding? And even if they do and their managers say, okay, we're not going to punish you. That's good. Thank you for speaking up. What do you think their work team does? Right. They, Why did you say anything? Why did yeah. you do that? The peer pressure that goes along with that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Never Absolutely. Asked. So, you know, we need to look at those links between what we're saying and what it might actually mean and what it might do to our culture. But something else about semiotics, we have many semiotics in our workplaces. I'd like to talk about one. I have my students do a what I call a semiotic walk through their workplace. And I thank Rob Long in Australia for turning me on to this, by the way. He's a great safety person and oh, he's a philosopher. He's kind of everything. But they go into their workplace with new eyes and ears and everything else. All their senses are engaged after taking my class. They walk through and they see things and experience things that they never have before. And they say, wow, look at that. On the wall, we have this employee recognition board. It's beautiful. It's beautifully framed. It's hung where everybody can see it. It has glass over the top. And this student said, guess what? 
it's been empty since they put it up. Now, what does that really mean in the culture? You have the semiotic of empty recognition of the workers. That's saying something. Many times our cultural silences say more than what we do. Very true. Proudly. Yes. Yes, that's <laughs> very, very true. true. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, that is really you. You know, I love the incidents because I'm a firm believer in against accidents. I don't like that term accidents. I prefer incidents when things occur because I think you can learn more from that. And you see accident gives it a a negative right away too, you know. And what you're saying is a love incidents, meaning that, hey, I love the, I want, I want to learn more. I want to learn, learn, learn. It's kind of what, what we're doing here. And I think that that allows people to be more relaxed at it and allows them maybe to fail, right? As we were talking earlier. Yeah. I've been kind of thinking about that little phrase, we love incidents. And the other thing when I hear that, I think it just, to me, says someone cares. Like that phrase. The other one is just very direct. Like, you know, like you said, it's very kind of harsh and a little maybe slap on the wrist, don't mess up. And we love incidents. You know, at first you think, hmm. But it just it just makes me feel like someone out there cares. And that's what they're saying. They're not going to shy away from all the stupid questions I might ask or <laughs> well, you know, standing you up for, you know, something that happened and, you know, communicating really what, what's really going on. You know, getting back to the zero injury, you know, philosophy, I, I was part of all that in a lot of times. And, you know, it was funny because our first aids and stuff would go away, but our severity would start going up because of that. You know, because what's happening, exactly what you're talking about is that, You'd have the minor injuries, nobody would report those because that might ruin stuff and stuff like that. And then the severity went up because they really couldn't cover it anymore. So, you know, learning from that. But I think that this is a good way of looking at it, you know, loving incidents. How can we learn from them and then be coming better at it and then communicating within the organization openly and freely? Absolutely. And you also said something else. You countered the word accident with incident. Think about the word accident. I mean, you said it has a negative meaning which it does now, but really an accident should be a, you know, hey, it's nobody's fault. It's an accident. But instead we treat it as if it's an on purpose. <laughs> and we use that agency against the person or the event. I mean, and you can, I'm not just saying the lower worker here. I mean, you can drive agentive blame up through the system very easily. And that's not better. I mean, we need to learn from each other. And Barb, what you said, you know, hey, we love incidents. That shows that we care. And we need to show that, as you said. And we need to look at people as people, not as, I don't like the word humans. I don't even use the word human factors anymore so much because that becomes a label. And it no longer sees that as a person. And we need to communicate as people, you know, together and form that relationship. And anything we use, we, we use our language for that takes away from that, I think is a negative. Good point. I know we've, you know, communication, we've just touched the surface with a couple things. I just had a question. We've talked a lot about, well, we've talked a lot about verbal, but then the semiotics. Do you work with or at the university get into written communication and how to do that? I don't know, better is the right word, or is that kind of a, another entity on its own? Does that fit into all of this or is that kind of separate? No, that that's certainly in there. For both of my courses, we look at the written language as well. And my language and communication class ends the semester with them doing a language review of a written document. Usually it's an accident investigation or an investigation guide or some other document that needs some language help. 
right? And we, and we can notice these slights of language and agentive language, and then they can kind of rewrite it. So I created that idea of a language review back when I was studying with Sidney Decker, and I did that in my master's thesis with him. And it just allows you to go in, you know, with, with your understanding of language and look for things like, you know, what is the language priming? What is it priming us to believe? What are the metaphors in there? And are they empowering metaphors or disempowering? You know, are there are there labels that then categorize things? And that can end learning. For example, if you if you use a taxonomy or a checklist, whether it's in, in your work, maybe maybe you're doing a JHA or whatever, it satisfies your need for closure because you get to check all these boxes, but it really does nothing to learn. It becomes a, you know, a way to protect yourself if an accident happens. And that's a shame. And we also look at things like counterfactuals, which are things that didn't happen, but we say it as if they did. So, you know, he should have done this. They could have done this after an event happens. That looking back doesn't help you. You need to look forward, not backward. And then we look at things like binary oppositions, you know, the black and white with no gray space in between. And yet we all live in the gray space between those places. That could be failure, success. That could be so many things that that we need to look at there. Well, I do. I think, you know, overall communication in general is very interesting. It's very important, whether it's written or verbal and not just in this field, right? Not just in safety, in all aspects of our life, personal, professional. And I think poor communication, whatever that definition is for someone can really mess things up. So all these conversations are so, are so great. And I loved how you kind of corrected me when I said, you know, when you teach this, is that tricky? Because I just think of communication as kind of tricky to teach at this level. Like we look at, we have four kids and they're all so different in the way they do a lot of things, especially communicate. So I know we have to change our approach sometimes on how we deal with each one of them. And you said, it's not really teaching, it's mentoring or working together. And I just, I loved that. I think that kind of makes me think about it a little bit differently. And just so many facets of communication that I think are interesting. And like I said before, overwhelming. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think this particular episode has given us a lot to think about. Yeah. I'm already sitting here thinking, (laughs) what can I do differently? You know, And probably got a hundred questions to go with that, right? (laughs) (laughs) I won't ask them now though. Well, thank you for being on the show today, but we're we're coming to it. As you may know, I'm the positive safety coach. So we always like to have a little fun with our guests and ask you a couple of good, <laughs> good jokes. The question is, is, are you ready? I'd better be ready. <laughs> <laughs> They're dad jokes, so you don't have to be too ready. <laughs> no. A lot of people get these right, by the way. And, and when we're asked them, we don't do very well them ourselves. But anyway. You doing the first one? Yeah, I'll do the first one. Okay. Where do you learn to make a banana split? Where do you learn to make a banana split? I don't know. So you're thinking too much on it. That's part of the problem already. It is actually at Sunday school. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh. The thing is, for as many as these jokes that I tell, I, I never would know the end. I'm, no. ho- I'm oh, horrible, horrible at that. Okay, well, this one's, I don't know. <laughs> I'll just say it. What do you call an elephant that doesn't matter? An elephant that just doesn't matter. I don't know. Ear elephant. Irrelevant. <laughs> Irrelevant. <laughs> I didn't That's even know if you fine. would get that one. I know. <laughs> 
Thank you so much for joining us today. And if anyone wanted to get a hold of you, how could they do that? Probably my email address is C S Vessel, that's V E S E L, at UAB dot edu and if you have questions or ideas i'd love to hear them i did want to say one other thing if you want to practice looking for agentive language just watch the media every news broadcast is full of it and it's a great place to practice because it's not your organization so you don't already have that pre-bias ah that's very good yeah thank you so much i know you left our listeners with a lot to take in so we really appreciate you joining us and have a super Thank safe you so day. much. Yeah, have a good day. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to TED Speaks with Ted Carew, owner of Total Health and Safety Solutions, providing health and safety support to businesses by customizing a safety process to fit their needs, big or small. Please connect at ted.carew at healthandsafetynow.com or visit our website, healthandsafetynow.com to share your safety stories or find out more about how we can work together to ensure your people go home safely and turn an expense into a profit center. Follow us and leave a review on your favorite podcast app. Have a super safe week. 